Welcome to Success with Style, everyone. I am Rob Giardinelli. Hi, everyone. I'm Lance Eddie Morgan. We are here with the capital T-H-E, Terrence McNally. On our Success with Style podcast, we're so honored to have you here, sir. Thank you. I'd love to start by reading a quote that you wrote that will kind of take us into what we're going to be talking about. You wrote, I think theater teaches us who we are, what our society is, where we are going. I don't think theater can solve the problems of a, of a society, nor should it be expected to. Plays don't do that, people do. But a play can provide a forum for the ideas and feelings that, can't, that can lead a society to decide to heal and change itself. And all of your works have been about healing and changing. I do believe that quote sounds like something I actually might have said. It sounds like you, doesn't written, it? And, uh, <laughs> and I believe it's still... Uh, I think the theater is a great way to, to influence how people feel and eventually think. And uh, I think, for example, the enormous strides forward in acceptance of gay men and women uh, is because of other people relating to other people. And, and coming out of the closet was the biggest thing mm -hmm. uh, we did, I think, finally. And we, the climate got increasingly, people became less fearful of letting right. them know they weren't being said, gee, I really like those guys. Those two women are lovely people and good citizens. Oh, they happen to be lesbians. Oh, they happen to be transgendered. And it's all because of, and art helps that way, to open, open the human heart, which is capable of much more diversity and complexity than we often think we are. And uh, I know the arts have helped me enlarge my own world. And I think they're so important, and uh, the most autobiographical play I've written is probably Masterclass, in which Maria Collis endeavors to teach young singers to follow her example. Uh, I don't think she's a good teacher, but she was a great artist. Well, I, I but she said, sing like me. It's very simple. Just right. do what I did. <laughs> do like she me. Did, yeah. She said, you know, I don't expect... Uh, if there's no more art, that the sun would no longer rise from the sky. Right. But if I didn't believe that what we do made this world a better place, and she stops, she can't. She cannot have lived her life in vain. Mm -hmm. And I don't think artists live their life in vain. And I think if you reach one person in a thousand, and you're an artist, you should consider yourself repaid fully. One person in a thousand, I mean. Uh, not everybody wants to be a writer or a painter, but if you can reach one person to expand their horizons, then you've met your goal as an artist. And it's also to tell a story, to interest people. Mm -hmm. um, my goal is no one leaves at intermission. <laughs> it's a horrible sight when you see people putting their coat on. And it says, you know, there'll be one 15-minute intermission. Uh, and, and you know leaving. they're not going out to smoke. <laughs> no, they're not going out to smoke. Uh, it's a very painful sight to this playwright. Sure. So I try to write plays that hope last to the final curtain. And... Um, I do think, I do believe that what I do has mattered. It's taken me a long time to feel that way, but I've had concrete evidence of a mother and father waiting for me outside a theater saying uh, when our son and daughter both came to us and said mom and dad were gay, and our response is we want you out of the house before noon tomorrow. This is your last night sleeping here. And we saw Andre's mother your your show and uh, it had been ten years since that had happened and we 
called our son in Chicago and our daughter in Philadelphia and said, we want you come, we want to be a family again mm. because of your play. And uh, I just burst, burst into tears. Well, they burst into tears. And then sort of hiding in the corner with a son and daughter oh. who were grown-ups, you know, probably late 20s. Sure. And uh, we all had a good cry. And I thought, boy, that's maybe the biggest reward I'll ever get as a writer. Mm -hmm. But what a wonderful one. And that's what work does affect people. And uh, so if, if I went to my grave saying, well, I know one family whose lives I changed, that, let that be enough. But well, I, I think you've changed lots of families' lives yeah. and lots of lives. And to your earlier point, what your plays to me have done is you've created exposure. You've uh, the healing exposure, mm -hmm. right? A lot mm -hmm. of people didn't have access to those right. stories of, of what a, a gay man or yeah. a gay woman goes through. I had seen uh, Lisbon Traviata mm -hmm. in L.A. at the Mark Taper mm -hmm. when it was there. I was a very young man. Yeah. And to see Nathan Lane, to see Richard Thomas, to see that 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 storyline that I'd never seen before, and certainly with a world of an escape of opera like it was, as entertainment mm -hmm. was for me, it profoundly affected me. Yeah. Profoundly. Yeah, that was, um, you know, I always wrote about things I understood and cared about, and uh, I, I didn't think I was, I mean, I now know, people have told me, my very first play, which was not successful, it's called On Things That Go Bump of the Night, mm -hmm. I uh, had gay characters in it. And before that, there were gay characters in Broadway plays, but they were never the lead, and they were either the comic mm -hmm. best friend next door, right. usually a hairdresser yeah. or interior designer. Or finicky butler. Yeah. yeah, for comic relief, or the subplot, the alcoholic church organist who commits suicide during yeah. Act Two. Right. He's so Tragic. ashamed and guilty with his secret. Mm -hmm. And these characters did not have that, and... I think I shocked people and paid a price for it, maybe. But mm -hmm. I didn't. When I was writing it, I didn't think, "Oh, I'm breaking uh, a barricade here." And um, my my first play was done. Um, I'd been living with Edward Albee for. I met Edward when I was a junior at Columbia, and he was just on the eve of uh, Zoo Story, his first play. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the theater community knew we were a couple, mm -hmm. and I remember Gene Kerr, the writer, humorist, who is married to Please Walter Kerr. Please don't eat Kerr, the daisies. Right. right. She's married to Walter Kerr, mm -hmm. the critic of the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And everyone smoked then, and all the critics were outside smoking. They'd be the last ones to go, and they'd flick the lights. So they all put out their cigarettes, because wow. they all sat on the aisle, and Wow. Went in, and that meant the play could now begin. The critics had finished their <laughs> cigarettes. That was a different world. And she took her last drag, stomped out her cigarette, and said, let's go see what his boyfriend's come up with. And I realized they're not reviewing a play by a new writer. Yeah. They're reviewing a play by Edward Albee's bedmate. Mm. So everyone said you were so out. Mm. Well, I, <laughs> the critics sort of took care of it, too, yeah. if you know what I mean. Isn't I've something? never been wow. reviewed as a non-gay mm -hmm. Uh, writer, mm -hmm. so it wasn't a big, so I never got those coded reviews Edward would get. Right. Maybe this character, if it were a man, would be more convincing. Right. Because no real woman would ever do this or that, and right. Edward got a lot of no real, and uh, it's it was so unhealthy the climate in those days. So I'm glad that I was sort of liberated from it all. Right. Um, 
Yeah, didn't he write yeah. um, Liz Taylor's role? I mean, or the 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 lead female role in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf as kind of a gay man? I mean, Did Edward? No, I don't think so. Okay, okay. I read that. Perhaps that's incorrect. That's for people who knew Edward was gay, but you couldn't yep. call someone gay in print mm-hmm. in those days. Quite famously, yeah. Liberace sued a newspaper yeah. and right. won many millions of dollars for magazine. suggesting he was gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it was a, a no-no, you know. And But Edward got yeah. these. The people who didn't like Edward's work uh, were very filled with implications and mm-hmm. snotty mm-hmm. little asides. Why do you think but, that was? Uh, do you think he just wrote too much of the truth that people couldn't handle then from a content standpoint? Is that? Do you think that's I think why they, people... No, I think those reviews, they're just saying, we know the author's gay, but we really can't say it. Uh-huh. And if you can read our code between the lines, Got it. he's not getting away with it, but mm. they couldn't say. Hmm. Clearly the man is, wrote these, this character is a homosexual. Mm-hmm. Edward always said, if I want to write a gay play, I will. Yeah. And he did write one gay character in one of his... Very last place, the goat, mm-hmm. the teenage mm-hmm. son is gay. Yep. And uh, I was a founder of an organization on Long Island called the East End Gay Organization, Ego. And um, we did an evening, we had a lot of, not a lot, but we had several f- well-known playwrights who were members. And I asked them to each write a one-act play. And uh, one of the playwrights was Edward, and he did write an out-and-out gay play. Wow. And he suppressed it. It was only done one performance. It's never been published. Mm. Sure, it's in his archives. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a one-night only opportunity. Yeah, wow. Gosh. Benefit. And the other writer, Arthur Lawrence, who mm-hmm. was yeah. out and quite militant at that point. Yeah. Edward was never part of any gay movement. And, uh, right. Any, I think of a lot of prominent theater artists mm-hmm. who really never stood up and said, what's going on here, you know? Right. So, uh, and I think they've, their wor- work has suffered in that they weren't always as generous as they might have been because they weren't generous with themselves and who they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, Edward really came from old time. Not many people know this about him because Edward presented a person, pers- we all present an illusion of who we are, but Edward was zoo story went for down and out Greenwich Village bohemian. In truth, Edward uh, was raised in Westchester County. He went to all the best private schools. Yeah, very Patrician. Trinity, yeah. their winter home in Palm Beach was next door to the Kennedy home. Mm-hmm. So he knew the Kennedys, his yeah. kids, his age. and But everyone thought of Edward wow. as his village. No, he came really from a very, very ritzy background. I, it's a picture I have of Edward uh, on his pony cart, and I guess I guess who that is, and people say, "Who? Some little snotty rich kid and dressed like little Lord Fauntleroy <laughs> with the sailor suit." That's, that's wow. Edward, and his, he had a pony who dragged him around. Other yeah, kids had a flexible, <laughs> uh, you know, the sled. He sure. had a pony yeah. pulling him around the estate. So, but that's and Edward chose not to, uh, you know be out ever I mean really maybe at the very end of his life Mm -hmm. you know coming out at 80 is not coming out and Mm -mm. and I don't mean that critically I say it with with sadness for Edward I think Mm -hmm. Uh, and all someone came up to me the other day uh, 
I'm, and I'm, I'm not I'm not a gossip really. It sounds like I am. But I'm not going to tell you who it is either. At the movie, we had a screening in New York, and he said every time I used to see you and Robert Drivers, who was my second significant relationship yes. after Edward and mm -hmm. I, Bobby was an actor, very mm -hmm. handsome. Mm -hmm. He said whenever I'd see you two, you're both so beautiful, and happy and sexy, and having so much fun together. I used to go home to my wife and family and cry, say, mm. what am I doing with my life? And the closet is a horrible place. Mm -hmm. And this person has spent most of their life, didn't come out really to their, their 70. Wow. When it's a little late. Sure. Right. Sure. <laughs> so what, sure. The party's sort of over. Yeah, it's over by then. What yeah. made you decide at 17, 18 years old, you're going to be out? I mean, this was... I didn't decide. In, I just was. I you, mean, just, you just did well, it. You I don't are, think you yeah. were ever in then, really. No. Okay. You just do it. I mean, I yeah. wasn't... We didn't have gay liberation at Ray High School. But, right. Right. You know, I was sleeping with whoever I could. And, and quite a few people I slept with are, are happily married now. Mm -hmm. I, I hope they're happily married. Mm -hmm. And our grandfathers. But... Uh, Corpus was a pretty sexy town. I think it was the tropical air, you know. But I don't <laughs> and know. And the Texas I, men. I yes, wasn't. That yeah. too. <laughs> and Texas men are, get horny. Does it, <laughs> but, but, uh, they uh, doesn't mean I, I converted any of them. But I, I, I was was just there, and I just I went to Catholic school quite a bit, and I took quite seriously. Uh, God made us in His image. Mm -hmm. And if he made me gay, then it couldn't be bad. Yeah. Plus, I used to think, do the math. There's these 12 guys. None of them are married. A bunch of single men mm -hmm. roaming around. You know, uh, and they have us in a classroom, and we're looking at a guy in a loincloth all day. And usually <laughs> the guy on the crucifix, like he's been at the gym. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of erotic. Sure. Semi-nude man. uh up there, so you know, I must say, no priest ever came near me, which I now take as an mm -hmm. insult. Mm -hmm. like, what mm -hmm. was compared I, to everyone else? I was cute too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I never heard. Look out for Father right. Flanagan. I, I never thought the priests were five. Never had any gripe with the Catholic Church over yeah. that. The nuns used to hit you with their knuckle, or their the ruler. rulers, yeah. not ruler, rulers, slip it in. Oh, Many. it was multiple rules. Yeah, you know well, my grandfather was left-handed well, and had, had horrible handwriting his whole life because the nuns None. in school would slap his hands so when he wrote left-handed. They weren't too lovable, but uh, I never, uh, never had any trouble with the priests. But I think I was happier when we, uh, I, my parents let me go to public because the Catholic high school in Corpus Christi, the town grew this direction. Mm -hmm. They thought it was going to grow in that direction. It was like a half-hour drive to... The uh, the Catholic the, wow. the boys I think it was co not co-ed uh, the academy it was called sure. okay. well, I think it was just boys but it was too far and Ray High School was like five minutes away and that's where I met Mrs McElroy mm -hmm. who I talk a lot in my plays and I'm totally She's a product the famous of, mentor the famous yeah, teaching mentor yeah. and she taught here for many years mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she was the head of the freshman English program okay brilliant woman and uh, here at UT. At UT, and um, I dedicated Frankie and Johnny to her. Mm -hmm. And when the last time they did it on Broadway, I flew her up first class. She loved Dorothy Parker and American Letters as well mm -hmm. as her Elizabethan, and uh, got her the Dorothy Parker suite. 
at the legendary Algonquin Hotel. Right, right. And at opening night of the play, she was the biggest celebrity there. All my friends had heard about this teacher for so long from me. And uh, she, the lineup of people, celebrities, to meet her. And I have some great pictures of oh, how fun. them all meeting Maureen McElroy. Yeah. And wow. I could only call her Mrs. McElroy. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of her life, I came to Austin to say goodbye to her. Mm-hmm. She knew she was uh, dying and she said, I'd like to see if you don't want to come. And she kept saying, call, call me Maureen. I said, I know. You're Mrs. McElroy. <laughs> I can't call that you That would Ma- change the scope of your relationship, I, I can't, right? Yeah, I can't call you Maureen. You're not something. Always going Mrs. Mac, but right. thank God I had a teacher like that. And so it's people set examples of mm-hmm. my being out helped someone else to be out. Right. And all that means is to be who you are. Mm-hmm. And there's a, this great quote of Oscar Wilde's, be yourself. Everybody else is taken. That's right. And, That's we right. All spend, and they do it better. They do it better. <laughs> <laughs> we all spend so much time trying to be like somebody else and, right. uh, and to learn to write or paint or compose in your own voice, not sound like another composer, paint like mm-hmm. another artist. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, if I was blessed in any way, it was, I knew that early on. Mm-hmm. And I, from my, there's whole parts of my first play that was not a success that only I could have written, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. They don't sound like anybody else. And from my second play on, my plays, I say that's authentically me. It doesn't sound like Tennessee Williams right. or Eugene, Arthur Miller or Eugene O'Neill. Sure. Sounds like, for better or worse, it sounds like Terrence. And, uh, but theater's collaboration. I've had wonderful actors and directors and designers to work with. And Nathan Lane is a right. good example of a young actor I'd seen in a Noel Coward play. I thought he was absolutely brilliant and said, I want to work with this guy. He is a Noel Coward is, play. Yeah. I mean, he just, <laughs> well, his persona. But the, but, but the part he played, the next time I went to see the play, I said, who's playing the playwright? And they said, why? I said, well, it's such a great role. They said, no, it's not. It's a very small part. They said, wanting to know who's playing the playwrights. You're going to Romeo and Juliet, and who's playing Count Par- County Paris. Right, right. Why do you care? <laughs> I said, that's why I saw Nathan Lane. So I see this other production. The guy comes out and has like five lines, yeah. leaves in the second act. He comes out and has five lines and leaves. But Nathan made those five lines. So Memorable. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So there wow. are no small parts. There are small actors. Nathan always had it. And... Uh, so we became frequent collaborators. And now, of course, the world wants him. He's, uh, yes, mm-hmm. he's, and, he's a hot commodity. Uh, same with Kathy Bates, Christine right. Baranski. Yeah. All the people I worked with. Audrey McDonald. Yeah. Audrey McDonald. You discovered her. I, I had seen Masterclass in L.A. before it went to Broadway. Yeah. And I'll never forget, because it was such a moving play, that after the last line, no one moved. Yeah. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. No one moved in the audience. I, I, I we liked were that play. so taken by it. That production. It was the same production that went to Broadway. Yeah. I thought that play worked in that, um, almost in the round. Yeah, in the taper. Mark yeah. Taper. Yeah. Better than it ever has. Mm-hmm. Zoe hated oh. it. Oh, really? Because she's a proscenium actress. Oh, yes, of course. See, I'm that not makes used sense. to people looking at my butt. <laughs> she gave it a thousand percent. <laughs> and she said and everyone also, shared in the experience. When you're in a proscenium, you can turn away for a second and... You know, do your nose or something's in my teeth. Sure, right. She said, everywhere I looked, I could see someone was looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> I felt very naked A wrapped there. audience. She, yes. I remember that. A wrapped around. I thought, well, we, and I, so the person I went uh, with, Dory Stegman, she, we just looked at, at each other and we said, well, that's the Tonys on Broadway. Uh, yeah. 
when it hits. I it's, mean, it was just such a done deal. It's the greatest performance I've ever seen in a play by anyone. I happen to have written it. But again, good example of collaboration. Zoe's one of the reasons I'm a playwright. I saw her at 17 at Stratford. She was been brought from Australia. And I thought, oh my God. That's what I do, write for people who have voices like that, who plant their feet and can speak out and hold an audience. And I wrote this play she agreed to be in, A Perfect Ganesh, but it wasn't successful. She was wonderful, but I didn't quite have the sound of her rhythms mm -hmm. in my right. spirit yet. Hmm. And then I was at a sort of a tribute for myself. And Zoe Again, did yeah, those <laughs> tributes. So there's yeah. one tonight celebrating your yeah, but this six decades. A, and this had great example. Uh, <laughs> uh, Zoe did a scene from Perfect Ganesha monologue. Uh -huh. And then Nathan did a scene, uh, that phone call from Lisbon Traviata. Yes, and yes, my yes. mother was my date at this event. And I wrote down Masterclass. And I knew exactly. And I wrote the first line. Wow. You no know, applause. Yeah. And uh, the last line, well, that's that. And my mother, I remember saying, Terrence, she called me Terry. Uh -huh. Terry, pay attention. They're talking about you. They're honoring you. Wow. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> and you're making notes Stop all throughout. Well, then I had to wow. find a way to fill in between no applause and right. that's that. Right. Uh, two and a half hours later. But so that that tribute had very concrete results. But I, it was a better play because I understood Zoe's instrument better mm -hmm. and strangely enough the only part i think i actually wrote for nathan lane was the least likely part and that was the the contractor uh new Jer from new jersey in uh lips together teeth apart right. a non-gay uh, yes I interesting he's, i thought he's brilliant in that part yes but mendy the character right. husband yep. was not written yep. for nathan because he was uh, too young too junior to play well, i didn't that. even know him when i wrote it okay maybe, or, okay got it or, or way too young, because yeah. if you really are listening to the scripts, he heard her in Epidaurus, Greece. Mm -hmm. That would have had to be 1960. Right. You know, how old was he? Four, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And, uh, but when the actors write for the part, mm -hmm. Zoe looked nothing like Maria Collis. Mm -hmm. but within five minutes, you were convinced right. she was Maria Collis. Mm -hmm. So that's what good actors well, do. And well, neither did our mutual friend Karen Kirkendall yeah. when she played Maria Callas in the mm -hmm. master class that's here that. at Zach Theater. And it was stunning. Yeah. But she brought her own, sh her persona and your words yeah. to me was very magical. Yeah. And she's been a, she was a long time yeah. friend, family friend. So writing for people is fun, but mm -hmm. uh, then other actors do totally new interpretations. Right. But uh, everyone thinks Buzz in um, Love, Valor, Compassion, there's a big, in this movie, uh, mm -hmm. this documentary, Nathan does big speech from that which I wrote during rehearsals mm -hmm. uh, because I thought the part was missing something that part was not written for Nathan and people assume it was because we were so identified right but the only part I actually wrote for him was you know I, I got Nathan Christine Baranski Susie Kurtz yep. and Tony Hill will you four of you be in a play mm -hmm. and in those days Manhattan Theatre Club would commit to a new play by me that I hadn't written and said, what what's is it about? I said, well, it's going to, I don't know what it's about yet, but it's going to have these four actors. Yeah. And they Done. all agreed to be free on September 11th. Wow. And the play would close January, you know, it mm -hmm. ran six right. weeks or whatever. Now, that moved off Broadway, actually. It ran a, quite a while. Long time, not with yeah. that. And then the cast started changing. 
they were not in it when it closed two years later. But it was fun writing for them, and uh, uh, Nathan was just wonderful. And he didn't do anything particularly Nathan-like except be genius acting, and I was very, very proud of uh, proud of him in that. And most people don't even, yeah, he was good in that play too. Yeah. So, um, I, what is one? Because you've worked with a host of legendary Broadway mm-hmm. actors. What's one trait all of those all of those actors and actresses share? Uh, complete professionalism. Most people' idea of theater people is based on All About Eve, you know, and mm-hmm. Betty Davis throwing her mink coat on the floor, <laughs> that Don Margo smoking a lot. <laughs> Everybody's smoking and being bitchy to one another, and it's. It's they're the really great actors are so hardworking. Yeah, Zoe used to get to the theater at Masterclass every day by four in the afternoon. I think Curtin was still at eight. Just read, sit in a dressing room, mm-hmm. quietly read the script. Mm-hmm. Nathan still gets to the theater an hour before any other actor sits and quietly reads the script. A party knows every, but they're just old school, or they take it so seriously. And I think a lot of younger people think acting is exulting in your own personality. Mm. And, um, young actors tend to be late. I wouldn't want to be a stage manager. Right. You're supposed to be there half an hour before the curtain goes up. <laughs> and it's 7.40. Anything can happen. And you say to the understudy, <laughs> start putting on the costume. And right. I've literally wow. seen the poor understudy put on the costume desperately. Oh, my God, I'm playing this huge part. Today. Sure. Wow. And the actor who has the job saunters in. Isn't that something? And, of course, New York now, you say the subway was late because mm-hmm. all of our subways are late. But right. Nathan, Audra, people like that, Zoe would not be late. Total pros. You leave so early, it doesn't matter if the subway's late. Right. But you don't cut it down to. And another thing about these actors, they see what's on the page and say, oh, there's a period here. There's a comma there. There's a colon. Mm. There's a dash. They act. They understand why I punctuate the way yes. I do, and they're letter perfect. Nathan has never added an uh. I mean, first of all, he doesn't need crutches. I call them. Mm-hmm. The line is, "Good morning. How are you?" He just can say that. He doesn't. Uh, good morning. Um, how are you? Yes. I mean, no. He just says, "Good morning. How are you?" And they don't add to the text. They use the text. And that's true of all the great actors. They don't muck about. Right. Like a musician wouldn't change. Oh, well, it says a B flat, I'll play a B natural. Oh, it says this tempo beats to the metronome. No, I'm going to change that. Mm. You don't do it. You do what the composer wrote. Mm-hmm. And so they're all. And finally, I think it's professionalism and a complete commitment to what they're doing as serious work, even if it's a. Hilarious comedy, probably more serious about a hilarious comedy than they are a tragedy because comedy is really hard. I was going to say yeah. that's much harder they to all, do than drama. All great actors say, "Dying is easy. Getting a laugh, is, <laughs> getting a laugh is hard." Well, you had lots of laughs in your career with your eighty-plus works, and you've won so I, many Tonys. Uh, eighty-plus works. Well, one Six a year. decades. 80, one yeah, a year, right. Yeah. That's a good average, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you get the, I don't know how it <laughs> happened. I remember turning 60. Wow. But suddenly I'm 80, and uh, statistics like 80 works, uh, you know, and I, I have enjoyed the musicals I've written, most of them. One I didn't enjoy too much. 
I loved uh, doing Dead Man Walking the mm -hmm. Opera with Jay Kage, yeah. which the Met is going to do finally. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's wonderful. Congratulations. That's Congratulations. And the woman who created the role of Sister Helen, the great Susan Graham, mm. is now playing the second. <coughs> oh, you're kidding. Excuse me. How fortunate. Playing the second soprano lead of the mother Wow. Of the condemned man, so oh, wow. wonderful. Which part was created by Frederica von Stade. Right. So it's such a wonderful tradition. Yes. And, Continues. Uh, and Joyce T. Donato. Right. Now is singing Sister Helen. Wow. And the new musical director of Met is going to conduct it. Whenever I attempt to say his name, you've got to really practice it. It's a tough it. one. Yes, yes, yes. But you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> the French Canadian. Uh, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Uh, well, not as brilliant as you, as yeah, brilliant as he is, not as brilliant no, as you. No. We have been so thrilled to be here chatting with you and learning more about the man behind the legend of Terrence McNally. And we are honored to be honoring you tonight Thank as you. well. And we look forward to more great things. Yeah. And it just it's you just gave us a master class for the last half hour. Oh, that's and right. we are just very grateful for that and grateful Thank for you. your time. And I can't wait until your hundredth birthday. What are we gonna do then? Boy. <laughs> what in the world? How can I we don't top that? Know. I don't know. <laughs> well we're anticipating that. So thank you, sir, so thank much. Thank you both. You've been we appreciate great. it. Very, thank you. Very easy to speak with, so I appreciate that. Thank Absolutely. you so much. And this is um Lance Avery Morgan and Rob Giardinelli signing off. Actually, hang on, Rob. We caught up with Cheetah Rivera on the red carpet at the Terrence McNally Gala. That's right, we did. Let's play that for everyone right now. So we are here with the legendary Cheetah Rivera, um, and we just wanted to know what um what is it like to work with the legendary Terrence McNally? Well, all you have to do is read it and exactly just say the words because you'll find the character, you'll find the passion, you'll find whatever it is he's trying, the story he's trying to tell, and you'll come out 150%. I can, I think I've got one Kennedy Center, and which is what I'm wearing, and, uh, and three Tonys because of, of, of Terrence. So, um, is that all? He's one of our great, yeah. <laughs> he's seriously one of our great, playwrights you know and uh and i can say um i you know i don't even know if these words are coming out his or mine right now because, so because, because i i do exactly what Darren says well we just did a podcast with him this afternoon and he has so many lovely things to say about you he's, well, he's almost so gushing he's, he's almost gushing <laughs> it's so funny, it makes me laugh. Yes. Because look at that skin. He's 80 years old. I you know. believe that skin? Yes. And that sweetness about him. It's very, it's, it's what it is. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Cheetah Rivera extolling the virtues of Terrence McNally. What a great, fun episode. It really was. And on that note, we can really sign off on this episode of Success with Style. This is Rob Giardinelli. I'm Lance Every Morgan. Reminding you that great style starts with having a unique point of view. Have a great day, everyone. Bye, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>